Section 4 of The Normans in Europe by Arthur Henry Johnson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 3. The Settlements in Gaul, 799-912. The great event of the ninth century is the fall of the ill-cemented empire raised by Charles the Great. That of the tenth the rise of the national kingdoms of Germany, France, and Italy. In these two events the Northmen had their share. They rose with the fall of the Carolings, and became firmly established with the rise of modern France. Their invasions, beginning about the year 799, ran very much the same course as those of the Danes in England, and about the same time changed their character from predatory incursions to definite settlements. Indeed, in many cases the invasions were contemporaneous, and the same names appear, now in England, now abroad. We have already alluded to the wide extent of their devastations and the terror they inspired. But to understand in any way the miseries which Gaul, Germany, and Italy endured during this period we must remember that these countries were torn by the most deadly internal feuds which prevented any united action against the common foe. The children of Charles the Great were fighting for the spoils of his wide empire and violating all right, justice, and plighted faith. Other competitors were joining the strife and struggling for their share. The people, downtrodden, neglected, oppressed or treated as so many conscripts who could be hurried to the battlefield, were grouping themselves for protection's sake round a host of greedy, selfish nobles, or sinking down and increasing the number of the slaves. Such was the internal position of the countries, a meaningless, hopeless tale of hateful factions which loads the memory and sickens the heart, and amid which only one important principle struggles to the surface, namely, the rising cry of nationality protesting against these personal quarrels and selfish compacts, and demanding that the interest of people, and not of kings, should decide the boundaries of the land. Sadly was Europe expiating the attempt of Charles to raise an empire of the West, an attempt which came too early and too late. Nor was this all, a triple scourge aggravated these self-inflicted sores. While the Northmen harassed the coasts and river shores, the Hungarian cavalry from the east swept over Germany, passed the Rhine, and penetrated as far as Vermandois and Provence, crossed the Alps, and devoured the Lombard plains. Meanwhile, from the Mediterranean and from Spain, the Saracens harassed the south of Gaul, and joined the Hungarians in Provence and the Alps. Of the condition of the lower classes we know but little. History has recorded the cruelties, the virtues, the honors and dishonors, the victories, the defeats of the great. But about the poorer classes she is generally silent, or at best has but a stammering tale to tell. We may quote, however, the words of the later author of the Romance of Rollo, what do we see around? Churches burning, people slaughtered through the weakness of the king. The Northmen wreck their will in France. From Blois to Saint-Lys not a grain of corn, and no one dares to labor in field or vineyard. If war cease not, 
famine is at our doors. This poem was not written till the twelfth century, but the author borrows from earlier writers, and we may believe that his words are true enough. Well might the choirs of the South chant their petition, From the arrows of the Hungarians may the Lord deliver us, and those of the North answer in despairing cadence, From the fury of the Northmen save us, Lord. The incursions of the Northmen in Gaul naturally fall into three groups, guided by the great rivers and intervening shores. One, the North Expedition, which includes the territories round the Rhine, the Scheldt, and the Elbe, the farthest southern point being the Neckar and the Rhine. Two, the districts of the Loire and Garonne, reaching as far west as Spain and inland as far as Bourges. Three, those of the Seine, Somme, and Oise. The invasions of Gaul by the Northmen differ from those of England by the Danes in one material point. Numerous as they were, they were isolated and scattered, those of the Danes in England continuous. Consequently, the latter permanently occupied one half of England, and though becoming Englishmen, still retained a certain local existence, and remained more or less distinct until the Norman conquest. But the settlers in Gaul, lying in small isolated groups and but little recruited by newcomers, soon became entirely merged in the surrounding nationality and lost their individuality. Hence it is that one settlement alone, that of Rollo at Rouen, in any sense survived, all the rest being rapidly lost to history. Even here it is not as Northmen, but as Frenchmen, that the settlers are important. The followers of Rollo became French and assumed the language, and so rapidly did the change occur, in the court at least, that the grandson of Rollo had to be sent to the district of Bayeux, which longest retained its Scandinavian character, to learn the language of his forefathers. Remembering then that the incursions of the Northmen, though they had a terrible reality while they lasted, were but in a few cases permanent in their result, we may at once dismiss all but the last. The mouth of the Seine offered a tempting opening to the pirates as they skirted the shores of Gaul, and the commercial city of Rouen had early attracted their plundering expeditions. Gaining boldness, they pressed inland and continually threatened Paris, then a town on the frontier of the kingdom of the West Franks, whose capital lay at Laon. So frequent were these piratical invasions that in 861, Charles the Bald, granted the city and a large district round it to Robert the Strong as a march or border territory against the Northmen. From that day forth the destinies of Paris began to rise, at first against the Normans, and then in league with them, until by the accession of Hugh Capet she finally became the capital and her count the first king of modern France. Fifteen years afterwards, in 876, according to the Chronicles, Rollo, the future Duke of Normandy, entered the Seine, and from that day till 912 ravaged the unfortunate country. This Rollo, termed the Ganger or Walker because he was too tall and stout for any horse to bear, is, so far as his earlier exploits are concerned, somewhat a legendary hero. The son of Rurgewalder, Jarl of Mori in Norway, 
he came of a family of Vikings. His brother-in-law, Einar, was, as we have seen, Jarl of the Orkneys. Rollo is described as following the calling of a Viking in Gaul and England for nearly forty years, before his final settlement at Rouen. He is said to have joined Guthrum in his wars against Alfred, but to have been persuaded by the Saxon king to leave England and seek richer spoil in France. His exploits are spread over so many years that it seems likely that there were two men of the same name whose deeds have been confounded. To add to our difficulty, there is a gap in the contemporary chronicles from 900 to 911. We must therefore be contented to leave him as we find him, a hero of romance, and follow the accounts left us by the chroniclers and sagas. In the year 888, the fatal year which saw the final dismemberment of the empire of Charles the Great, began the famous siege of Paris by Rollo. The town was, however, successfully defended by its Count Eudes, who in reward was for a time chosen King of France. When the chroniclers speak again, we find Rollo in possession of Rouen, and Gaul in a pitiable state. In spite of his defeat by the Count of Paris, Rollo's devastations continued, until at last Charles the Simple granted him by treaty the territories which were already his own, and thus, as Alfred the Great had done for England, gained a respite for the distracted country. By this treaty of Claronept, 912, Rollo secured the country from the Ept to the sea, and the overlordship of Brittany, with the hand of Gisela, the daughter of Charles the Simple, and accepting Christianity as the price of the treaty, was led to the font by Robert, Count of Paris, who consented to be his godfather. To the demand of Charles that Rollo should do homage to him and kiss his toe, the independent Northman answered indignantly, Nay, see by God, not so by God. When at last he consented that it should be done by proxy, it is said that King Charles was thrown backwards by the rudeness of the Danish soldier as he raised his foot to kiss it. The tale probably points to a real act of homage done by Rollo, but the Normans of later date appealed to it to show that they held their country of no higher sovereignty in chief, but of God alone, and were proud of an insult offered with impunity to a descendant of the great emperor of the West. As to the internal condition of the province after the occupation, it is impossible to speak with certainty. The land, we are told, was roped out among his followers. Most probably the Northmen became the only land owners, while the conquered race was reduced to a state of serfdom. The country seems to have been divided into counties and bestowed upon the chief advisers of Rollo, but in the absence of written documents of any kind during the reigns of the first two dukes, it is idle to speculate on the political condition of the dukedom. The legend, which under various forms so often appears in many countries that the duke's bracelets hung to a tree and unguarded, except by the terror of his name, remained untouched for full three years, attests the vigilance of his government. Towns and churches rose again under his paternal sway, and the fame of Rollo the pirate was soon lost in that of Rollo the legislator and father of his people. Leaving Rollo definitely settled at Rouen, 
let us look around us and consider the condition of that part of Western Europe in which Rollo and his successors were to play so important a part. Geography, which in early times is history, had cried out against the empire of Charles the Great, and national aspirations triumphed at last. After the death of Charles III, who had for a moment reunited the dominions of the Emperor Charles the Great, the ill-assorted elements were forever separated, and four kingdoms arose. 1. Germany. 2. Italy. 3. Burgundy. 4. Gaul. Of these, Germany fell into a kind of loose federation of four nations, Franconia, Saxony, Schwabia, Bavaria, with their separate laws and their own dukes, each of which in turn gave a king to Germany. On the death of Arnulf, who ruled from 896 to 912, an illegitimate descendant of Charles the Great, who had been chosen king, Conrad of Franconia, acknowledged by all the nations except Lotharingia, obtained the crown, 912 to 918. And the same year which saw Rollo established in Normandy, saw Germany transferred to her national kings. He was succeeded by Henry I of the House of Saxony, who ruled from 918 to 936. Both these were descended by the female side from Charles the Great, but the rise of the power of Saxony, the emperor's most deadly foe, rather points to the final exclusion of his race from Germany. Italy and the empire generally, but not always hanging together, were tossed like shuttlecocks to and fro, until Otto I descended from Germany and claimed the imperial and iron crown in 961. And the papacy, passing into the hands of a succession of infamous popes, the paramours and bastard sons of two shameless women, bade fair to lose all moral influence in Europe. At this time, 888 to 912, there were two kingdoms of Burgundy, one, Transjurain, consisting of North Savoy and all Switzerland between the Reuss and the Jura, then under one king named Rudolf, and two, Cisjurain Burgundy, consisting of Provence, Dauphiné, the south of Savoy, and the country between the Saône and the Jura, afterwards called the County of Burgundy or Franche-Comté. This kingdom, founded by Bozo of Provence in 879, was then in the hands of his son Louis of Provence, 887 to 928, who, after gaining the country west of the Rhone and most of Languedoc, had aspired to the dangerous bauble of the empire. He was half blinded by his rival Berenger and returned home to live in retirement till his death. His dominions soon after, passing with the exception of Dauphiné, to his more successful neighbor, and under Rudolf II became the kingdom of Arles. Footnote. These two kingdoms of Trans-Jurain and Cis-Jurain Burgundy, which subsequently belonged to the empire, must not be confounded with the Duchy of Burgundy, formed of the country round Dijon, east of the river Sun, which always belonged to France. At this time, held by Richard the Justiciar, 887-921, it was shortly after seized by Hugh the Great of Paris, and became subsequently an appanage of the younger son of Robert, King of France. Back to main text. 
Gaul on the death of Charles III became for just one hundred years the object of contention between the last of the Carolings and the rising house of Capet, between the imperial, German-speaking city of Laon, and the ducal, French-speaking city of Paris. At first Eudes, Count of Paris, raised to fame by his successful defense of Paris against the Northmen, was chosen king, 888 to 899. And although his rivals brought over the young Charles the Simple, the descendant of Charles the Great from England, where he had been sent for safety, and got him crowned, the Count held his ground successfully till his death in 899. Then Charles quietly succeeded, and the kingdom of the West Franks was once more restored to the city of Laon. His kingdom was bounded to the south and north by the Mediterranean and the English Channel, and stretched east and west from the Meuse and the Rhone to the Pyrenees. In addition to this, he held the Channel Islands and the county of Barcelona. But of this territory he was by no means actual master. Brittany and Aquitaine scarcely acknowledged his authority, and generally stood aloof, while nearer at home his power was overshadowed by four great feudatories who often set him at naught. In the south, the Duchy of Burgundy was held by Richard the Justiciar. In the north, the county of Flanders, formed as a march by Charles the Bald against the Northmen, was now under Baldwin the Bold, a powerful and turbulent vassal, quarrelling with everyone and disturbing the peace even of the royal domain itself. At Paris, another march, Robert, Duke of France, the brother of the king's late rival Eudes, the deadly foe of his race and name, ruled over the greater part of central Gaul north of the Loire, and, as was then not infrequently the case, enjoyed considerable wealth as lay abbot of Saint-Denis and Saint-Germain of Paris and of Saint-Martin of Tours. Even the narrow extent of the royal domain, composed of a small district around the city of Laon and Compiègne, was threatened in the north by Herbert II of Vermandois, 902-943. This powerful count descended from Pepin, the son of Charles the Great, and holding the rich territories of Reims, Soissons, Senlis, Saint-Quentin, and Peronne, claimed a purer and more certain descent from the emperor than Charles himself, and was only biding his time to become the jailer and perhaps the murderer of his king. Lastly came the metropolitan see of Reims, lying within the territories of Vermandois, yet independent. Its primate was the prince-bishop of France, and its possession was a continual bone of contention between the rival princes. Gaul, in fact, was a loose collection of powerful princes, owing a purely nominal allegiance to their suzerain, which they discarded whenever their interests clashed. Perhaps it may be said that Charles was more really master of German Lotharingia, which, refusing to acknowledge the upstart Conrad of Franconia, paid a temporary but personal allegiance to him as the representative of the Caroling line. Already had Charles's authority been disputed by these turbulent feudatories, and the quarrel had apparently only been discontinued, owing to the renewed invasions of the Northmen, which preluded the settlement of Duke Rollo at Rouen. Such was the condition of Gaul at the time of the Treaty of Clare on Ept in 912. 
By this treaty one more dangerous vassal was admitted within the realm. But the immediate result was a decided gain to Charles. Plainly it was at the expense of the Dukes of Brittany and of Paris that the cession was made. Charles resigned a territory over which he had but little power, and the first two Norman Dukes fully repaid the gift by heartily supporting Charles throughout the rest of his troubled life. The common danger from the Northmen once removed, the quarrels again broke out. Charles, by the spontaneous allegiance of Lotharingia and by the aid of the Northmen, had gained an increase of strength, and jealousy perhaps was the immediate cause of the rebellion in 922. A strong coalition arose. Robert of Paris was chosen king, leaning on the united powers of Vermandois and Burgundy. Yet Charles, aided by the people of Lotharingia and by Rollo and some Northmen who had settled on the Loire, was strong enough to win a great battle at Soissons in 923, where Robert paid the penalty with his life. Hugh the Great, his son, might well have aspired to the crown, but now, as throughout his life, he preferred the less dangerous position of the kingmaker, and Rudolf of Burgundy, his brother-in-law, accepted the dangerous post. Charles the Simple, trusting himself to the plighted troth of Herbert of Vermandois, and placing himself in his power, was faithlessly seized and kept a prisoner with one short interval from 923 until his death in 927. In revenge, Rollo ravaged the country of the Duke of Paris, and a long war of four years ensued, generally to the advantage of the Norman Duke. This, although it did not open the prison to the royal captive, added two important acquisitions to the Norman territory. The Bessin, the district round Bayeux, was granted to Rollo as well as the land of Men. The claim to the latter was left for Rollo's successors to enforce, but of the former he gained immediate possession, and it henceforth formed the most important portion of the duchy. A Saxon colony had existed there since the later days of the Roman Empire, and alone of the Teutonic settlements had resisted the absorbing influence of the Romance element. Now reinforced by the new settlement of a kindred race, it maintained its Teutonic character and speech. In the reign of Rollo's successor, it formed the nucleus of a rebellion of the non-Romanized element of the duchy against the other then become thoroughly French. To it his grandson was sent to learn the pure language of his fathers, and to this day it retains some features of its Saxon and Scandinavian origin. The annexation of the Bezin was the last exploit of Rollo. Shortly afterwards, in 932, at the demand of his people, he resigned, though unwillingly, in favor of his son. Five years more, it is said, he lived, and then the old man of fourscore and odd years, years teeming with deeds of strange contrast, of stranger import to future times, disappears from history. As we stand over his tomb in the chapel of St. Romanus at Rouen, strange are the thoughts which flit across our mind. Here lies the once dread Viking, the pillager of France, then one of the most powerful of her sons, a duke, a legislator, the father of his people, the progenitor of a long line of dukes and kings. 
when all is told we know but little of him. Many of the rolls which would have recorded his fame were probably burnt by his own hand. To recall all the events of his varied life is now beyond the power of man. But the best proof of his power and his genius is that it was his life that inspired a canon of his own town, Bayeux, to write one of the earliest romances of modern Europe, and that while all other settlements of the race in France and Germany rapidly disappeared, his alone has lasted on and deeply affected future ages. End of section 4